Good morning. Now it's Good Friday, which means I can do my sermon a little bit differently to a usual Sunday. So just a bit of pre-warning in case you think I finish after nine minutes of preaching. I'm going to preach for a little bit. We're going to sing, preach for a little bit. We're going to sing, and then we're going to have communion and sing a little more. Um, so just a heads up. Uh, don't start walking out at nine minutes. <laughs> uh, let's pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, before you uh, and before your word, which you have given to us, Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. We don't talk about insignificant things this morning. And in fact, any time we come to church, we talk about what your son has given, what you have given, Father, in order to save us. And in our fallenness, Lord, in our ongoing struggle with sin, the grace that you have given to us in your Son and the forgiveness that you have offered to us in this new covenant, Lord, can be forgotten. We can forget it and it becomes something trivial to us. Lord, we are so dependent still upon you to continue to open up your word to us, to continue to reveal the majesty of the cross to us. It's beauty, even in its darkness. And Father, we pray this morning that you would open up our hearts, be able to receive your word, to be able to see and know, but to be able to give thanks as well for what Christ has done. What you have done, Father, in your Son. We trust ourselves to you as we read your word and listen to what you have to say in jesus name amen so this morning we read uh, in john and i'll be jumping from gospel to gospel uh, but we read in john that before the passover feast jesus knew that his hour had come that he would soon depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus entered into Passover knowing that this would be the last time he would share a meal with them in this way. And these would be the last words he would share with them before the event of the cross with his disciples. And what were these final instructions? That he provided to them. He provided them with a way in, of how to provide a memorial service for him, how to remember him. And unlike the funeral services that we are familiar with, it was something that was to be repeated again and again and again by all who called Jesus Lord. His memorial service was to become a central theme for his followers. In our funeral services, we also gather together and we hear and we speak of the lives of our loved ones, of how they lived, of what they've done, how they lived their lives. Really, we speak of their glory. An activity, I imagine, would be easy for us to do or for his disciples to do for Jesus, to speak 
of all that they knew of him, of his gentleness, of his servant heart, his teachings, the miracles that he did, the way that he changed their individual lives. But no, this was not how Jesus would have his memorial. He instructs the disciples to dwell instead on something that for them had not yet taken place. Not of the glory of his life, but of the glory of his death. They are to remember him in the consideration of his body being given and of his blood poured out for them on the cross. In this way, we can see that even from Jesus' own perspective, what was happening on the cross was central to his own life and the lives of his own disciples. So this morning we are going to have a memorial service for Jesus, our Saviour. We are going to consider the elements of his death that he instructed us in, his body and his blood, and remember his death on the cross in light of them. In Luke 22, verse 19, Jesus said, He took the bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus' disciples had really already been experiencing much of the uh, many small tastes and shadows of what it meant for Christ to already give himself bodily for others as they traveled with him. They'd already seen the one they now knew as Messiah to be a servant to those that were around him. He sat and ate with sinners and tax collectors. He held conversations with those who were unclean, the pariah. They watched him welcome and give valuable time to children. And each time his disciples, they saw their rabbi do something like this. They looked on in confusion. This dynamic of a servant-hearted leader and the confused followers seems to be the normal for Jesus and his disciples. And at the night of his arrest, we see this dynamic again twice more. First, we see it as the supper comes to a finish. Reading from John chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the mill. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now the washing of feet was a role for the household servant, a menial task given to those that really had no choice. It was the low serving the high. Yet here is Jesus, knowing the Father had put all things into his hands, using those same hands to take off his outer robe and to take up the towel, the garb of a servant, and willingly, gently, lovingly wash the grime from the feet of his disciples. And the disciples, of course, their reaction is that they are aghast. Peter says, Lord, are you washing my feet? You shall never wash my feet. 
This was the role of a servant, not his rabbi, not his master, the one he holds in such high esteem. If anything, and even this may have been frowned upon, it was the disciples that should have been washing the feet of Jesus. But this was how it must be. Jesus serving those in his care. If I do not wash you, Jesus says to Peter, you have no part in me. It's not simply that Peter must be washed to be with Jesus, but he must be washed by Jesus. It must be his body that is offered up to serve others. What I am doing, Jesus says, you don't understand now, but you will. You will know after this. Referring to the way that he will soon debase himself again on the cross. The way that he will not don a towel of a servant to wash feet, but the garb of a sinner, instead condemned to die in the most humiliating of ways. For the washing of feet was but a shadow of the cleansing of sin that was to come. The second time this dynamic of Jesus, the servant, and confused disciples occurs is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Having returned from praying where he leans upon the Father to strengthen him for the road to Calvary, he is confronted by Judas and a troop of soldiers. From Mark 14, the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion? Jesus said that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple court, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Notice Jesus' demeanour during this intense moment. He does not resist arrest. He doesn't offer harsh words or even appear to leave begrudgingly with the soldiers. No, he goes willingly to the cross. Even going so far in the other gospel books as to heal the ear of the, of the servant who had had his ear cut off. Jesus offers his, himself up to them, knowing where that road leads. He's offering himself up to hours of ridicule, of mockery, beatings, crucifixion. This was his ultimate act of his servant heart. And what is the reaction of the disciples in seeing this? At first, they are filled with spit and vinegar. What it, uh, when it appears as though they are going to have to fight for Jesus. And they would have fought to the end, tooth and nail, whatever it took. In their minds, the only road forward to realise the new covenant was that of domination. Where their master took his rightful place above the people and dictated the way to live. So when they see Jesus offering up his body willingly, taking a low path, all that spit and vinegar that filled them evaporates. 
They were ready to fight. And now they flee. And Jesus is left to tread this path without another person beside him. None, even fiery Peter, who followed at a distance and would deny him three times as the rooster crowed. None would stay beside him. Matthew twenty twenty eight. The Son of Man did not come to be served, not even by his disciples, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even upon the cross, Christ continued to minister to the people in his care. He pled to the Father even on behalf of those who were causing his suffering. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He speaks of salvation to the thief that's beside him on the cross. Today you shall be with me in paradise. He cares for his mother and his beloved disciple John. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And if we look back to what is said even before the Passover in John 13, we see it come to completion here upon the cross. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He was a servant to the end. What did the sign say that hung upon Jesus on the cross, King of the Jews. What was pressed into his head? A crown of thorns. It was intended to mock him, to belittle him, to humiliate him. His captors, like the disciples, they didn't get it either, did they? This was the way of Jesus being the servant king for his people. This was not humiliation on display, but love. That he might save those in his care. This is our God, the servant king. Stand with me and we'll sing the song, The Servant King. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. The blood of Christ is more than what was running in his veins and spilt down his side as the spear pierced him on the cross. Matthew says this cup is a new covenant shared for many for the forgiveness of sins. What was God doing through pouring out Jesus' blood on the cross, but forging a new covenant for his people, a covenant like no other, a covenant with the great promise of the forgiveness of our sins? Centuries ago, God entered into a covenant with Moses. In this covenant, God promised Moses and the people land and prosperity. Under God, Israel would multiply and grow wealthy. And he promised he would be their God and they would be his people. To seal this covenant, 
and to guarantee these promises, a sacrifice was offered, the blood of which Moses sprinkled upon the people. But over the years that followed, despite such incredible promises and plenty of signs of God's faithfulness and power to Israel, the people of God rebelled against him. They forsook him and worshipped the powerless false gods of other nations. In doing so, they broke that sacred covenant. And instead of blessings, they earned the wrath and judgment of the Lord. They went from having a bright future to a truly bleak one. And if this was the end of the story, it would just be that, bleak. And not just for Israel, but for us also. If at this point God ceased dwelling with humanity, where would you and I be? But in Jeremiah, we find hope in a new word from the Lord, a new promise, despite the broken covenant, despite the sinful behaviour of his people, the Lord said this from Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. I will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to another, know the Lord, because they will know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive, I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. A message of hope from the lips of the Lord that until the occasion that we remember today was left unanswered. Centuries passed until here in this upper room, as Jesus instructs his disciples, he boldly says, this cup is the new covenant. The promise of forgiveness is here and I will be the sacrifice to seal the promise to you. My blood will be what pays for your forgiveness and what guarantees it for you. What a cost Jesus paid, the Father paid for us. It was not a cost that he was ignorant of. This wasn't something that Jesus said, not knowing what was to come. We have only to look at Jesus praying in Gethsemane. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Yet not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like Drops of blood falling to the ground. The weight of sin, of the physical abuse to come, he knew it before he was even arrested. He knew the taste of it, the feel of it, 
yet he still went willingly. Why? Had the people changed? Had they earned his love? Well, the people of Israel hadn't changed. The old covenant was broken. The people were, in fact, worse than ever. The Sadducees and Pharisees, who may have looked good on the outside, were rotten with greed and pride on the inside. The poor and the sick were outcasted rather than being cared for. Even his disciples couldn't take a single step down the road of righteousness without becoming confused and falling. We saw already that they didn't even know how to love, not the way Christ did. So why pay this price? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love. The love of God for us. His desire for us to be with him drove him and compelled him. So that his covenant of forgiveness that comes at such a great cost might be free for you and for me. So that you and I might know the Lord. This time, without risk of the covenant ever being broken again. For it was not simply the blood of a lamb that sealed this covenant, but the Son of God's blood. He has paid not only for the sins of the past, but of the present and the future. That those who believe in him might be free and remain that way. For this purpose did my Saviour bleed, that he loves us. Let's stand and sing another song. Alas, and did my Saviour bleed. This morning we are going to share in communion. And I invite you all who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour to freely take and eat. This is what he said to his disciples. Take and eat of my body and of my blood. In a moment, some music will play and we will sing another song as we come down the front. Amazing love. And as we do, starting with the back rows, coming to the middle, come down the for come forward and receive some bread and some juice, the symbols of his broken body, of his blood shed for us, and hold on to them until you return to your seats and we will eat and drink together. Let's sing and come, take and eat. It is finished. One of the final words Christ spoke on the cross. His body was given. His sacrifice made. Our sins paid in full. Believers, we are forgiven. We'll not only remember this morning the costly elements of Christ's sacrifice, 
but also his purpose, that he might extend to his disciples, to those who believe in him, to you and to me, a free invitation to share in his death. Take and eat, Jesus invites, of my death, my body and my blood. Share in what I have paid for. Share in the covenant of forgiveness I have secured. This is his gift to us. Not to be taken out of guilt or shame in our weakness for accepting it. It is free in the freest of senses. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. That is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after saying, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this cup, bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're now going to pray. I'm going to leave just a couple of minutes for our own individual prayer, and I'll close up. Heavenly Father, is there enough gratitude that we could have? That even now, as we sit here, some of us moved by your action on the cross, and if we're honest, some of us desiring to be moved. Struggling with our own hearts and the reality of you, of our sin, of the cross, of our forgiveness. And yet irrelevant of how we are feeling, you loved us. You secured us. We are guaranteed our Forgiveness is guaranteed. And we give thanks that today doesn't end in death, as we will see and speak on on Sunday and remember then. But even here and now, Lord, of what you did for us, we give thanks. And we pray today that you would continue to open, open our hearts in our minds to perceive more of what it is that you did here, the depth, Lord, of your love, the delight of the freedom that you've given us in being forgiven. Lord, that we might abide now in you, in this covenant, in our love for one another, in our delight in you, Thank you, Lord. Amen. As we leave this morning, and we read from 1 Peter. 
he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins we may live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have been returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Amen.